Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to be talking about wisdom and folly as it applies to the area of marriage and kind of broaden it beyond that to our relationships. Even if you are not married, if you are single, uh, there are words of wisdom here for you as well. We want to take to heart what God has to say this morning. So let's pray as we begin, and then I'm going to jump into the message today, and we'll move forward into the text from there. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this morning, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you know our thoughts, you know our deeds, you know everything about us. Thank you that you love us and care for us. Thank you that you are a God of compassion and mercy, and that there is forgiveness with you. Because we need all of those things. But you are also a God of truth. And you have set standards in the area of sexuality, in the area of marriage, in our relationships between men and women that are not to be crossed. And Father, I pray that you would give us grace this morning to hear your truth and to obey it. And to live differently so that we might be your people in this world who point to the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would guide me in what I say this morning too. Lord, you know my heart. I don't want to say more than what the Scripture says, and I don't want to say less than what the Scripture says. And so I pray that you would give me the right words to express your truth this morning and give us ears to hear what you want to say. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In June of this year, there was a story that hit the news that was rather curious. The story came out that the governor of South Carolina was missing. Now, when you hear that, you go, how can a governor be missing? I mean, how do you lose a governor? But apparently, he was gone, and no one exactly knew where he was. His aides or other attendants, there was a report that at first he was in the Appalachians, uh, maybe hiking, doing something like that, but nobody knew for sure. And you could tell that there was something that was just not right about this story. And then a few days later, the story broke that he had actually flown to South America where he was seeing a mistress, an Argentinian woman, who he had had an affair with. When that news came out, I mean, his wife, as you can imagine, and children, four sons, were devastated by what they heard. Uh, Voters in the state were outraged. I mean, uh, not only at his immorality, but also at just his negligence of leaving his office and not having communication and who was in charge and who would make decisions if they needed to be made. And those who were supporters of the governor, this governor who had been, who was a social conservative, uh, who had kind of taken a stand against Uh, immorality and pro-marriage and pro-life and all of these things, his supporters now felt betrayed. And everybody was left asking the question again, why? I mean, how many times have we seen this happen? You know, over and over again, you'll see someone, for example, like a politician who commits an infidelity and then has this tearful confession with his wife at his side looking just absolutely crushed by it and then trying to explain the behavior. Governor Sanford's wife actually recently expressed a couple things about it, and when she said, you know, it is like an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography, it's very hard to break. 
And she said the thing that makes it very difficult for those who are in power like politicians is that they lose touch with reality. They say they want something, and ten people rush to get it. They have people waiting on them all the time, and it's an ego boost, and it's very hard to handle that. It is hard to deal with power and stay grounded in reality. But the sad truth is that it's not just politicians who have a problem in the area of sexual immorality or infidelity. Far too many pastors, church leaders, and people in our congregations have also succumbed and fallen in this area. I have friends who started out in ministry, gifted, called by God, who have had to lay all of that aside because of the sin in their life and they have fallen in this area and they have lost their positions of ministry. And every time I hear that or see that, it breaks my heart. It hurts. It hurts. And it affects the church and our witness in the world. And so when we talk about an issue like this of sexual immorality or infidelity or guarding our heart we're not looking at people that are in the world as though we've got this all together. The problem is here in the church, too, and we need to address it. It's not too surprising to me that in the book of Proverbs, actually, four times in the first nine chapters, the teacher speaks to this area, understands our human nature and our weakness here, knows that this is a big issue. It's been a big issue for thousands of years. And you can look in this scripture at the temptations in those who have fallen, including even David in the Old Testament. So Proverbs 5 talks about this problem of sexual infidelity, and it also points us to the solution, to God's grace and his plan for our life in this area. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. Number one, regarding sexual infidelity, we need to take the warning seriously. Verses 1 to 6 share this warning that comes from God's Word, and we need to hear it and take it seriously. A father is speaking to his son, and again I want to say to you that even though the language is of a father speaking to a son, you need to apply this This as a father speaking to a daughter, or it could be a mother speaking to her son or daughter. It's a parent who is concerned about their children and that they hear this warning and take it seriously. And so he says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom and listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and that your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. There's a temptation here that is very real, and so he comes and he gives this warning to his son, or it's the same kind of warning that we would give to a daughter. It is not just the wayward woman that we need to watch out for, if you will. We also know that there are men who are charmers and deceivers, and whose goal really is to get your daughter, perhaps, or someone that you love like that, into bed with him. It is a very serious warning. And when we look at this area of sexual immorality, on the one side we need to guard against an overconfidence in ourselves that says that, you know, this could never happen to me. You may never have an affair with another person 
But we are also vulnerable to sexual temptations that come in other ways. And we need to guard our heart. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. There's a warning there that there are temptations that come and if you think you've got it all together and you have no problem in this area at all, beware. You might just be ripe for one of Satan's temptations. But the other side that I think we need to hear when I say we need to take the warning seriously is that it actually it concerns me and sometimes it shocks me how many people today just want to give up on the standards altogether. And again, I'm not talking about just in the world. That's kind of a given. I'm talking about even in the church. There are times when I hear from men that they don't think that pornography is actually wrong. Is that really harmful or hurtful? And there are times when people think, well, you know, it's just, it's just a pleasure on the side. It's not really affecting my marriage. And they don't understand how demeaning it is to women. They don't understand how addictive it can become and how it can affect your relationships. And how, especially at a young age, if boys are exposed to it, it can become a lifelong addiction and how devastating that is. I also think that people sometimes don't take the standard seriously when it comes to marriage and the whole uh, um, teaching of Scripture that says that we are to wait until we are married to engage in a sexual relationship. And increasingly we find couples living together before marriage as though that's no big deal. And they are having sex before marriage in greater frequency. In fact, when couples come wanting to be married, I just I rejoice when we have young couples that come together in our church that have chosen to wait and honor God in this area and they've come for premarital counseling and they want to do this the way that God has said in His Word. And I tell you, I rejoice in that. And I, I get excited about those couples and their future because one of the greatest assurances of faithfulness in marriage is faithfulness before marriage. And if you can practice self-control in your relationship before you are getting married, it's a very good indication that you will also be faithful to one another in that marriage relationship. And God will bless that. And so here we come to this passage of Scripture that is talking about a very serious warning. He tells his son that the lips of an adulteress drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. There is an attraction there. There is something that looks and tastes very sweet and attractive there. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, wormwood, and sharp as a double-edged sword. You fall in this area and it may cut you to pieces, is what he is saying. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. She is a deceiver and a charmer. And if you follow her, it will lead to your ruin. Those are strong words, aren't they? And sometimes people, again, want to kind of write that off and think, oh, you know, it's not really that big a deal, is it? I mean, everybody's doing it. But look at the fruit of that in our society and look at the rampant increase in sexually transmitted diseases. Look at the fallout that comes from broken relationships in our world. And take heed. 
Think about also what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 27 to 29, He said, You've heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now I know that Jesus was using metaphors there. But you don't speak like that unless there is something very, very serious here. And he's saying that lust is in the very same line as adultery. And that if you find yourself going that direction, it would be better for you to lose an eye than to be cast into hell. And it would be better for you to lose a hand than to be cast into hell. Strong language that speaks to the seriousness of this. I know that the temptations for men and women in this area may be different. For men, it may be more the physical attraction. For a woman, it may be more the emotional attraction. But both are real. And this warning is addressed to both. And yes, there are times, I know, when a woman is attracted to a man because of his physical appearance. And likewise, a man may be drawn to a woman because of the connection that they feel on a heart level. But those temptations are ones that need to be guarded against. They will show up in many different ways. The temptations in our world are many. The danger of pornography, as I mentioned, is real, especially with the Internet and magazines and movies and publications that are out there. We are living in a culture that is dominated by it, that uses sex to sell things, whether it's cars or alcoholic beverages or uh, lifestyles or commitments. It's everywhere. And Jesus speaks to that. And we need to guard our heart against those things. Romantic fantasies, uh, books and movies that kind of, you know, make it look like it should be this intense emotional kind of experience. And they portray it in these kind of romantic ways, most of the time outside of the bonds of marriage. And people can be drawn into that and think that this is how it should be or that the relationship should always have this kind of romantic affair to it. There are affairs people get drawn into with other men or women. There are unrealistic expectations that can be built up as to what marriage should be like. And sometimes people go through the the joy and the excitement of the courtship and the honeymoon and they get into marriage and the reality of work and bills that need to be paid and responsibilities. And then children come along and they take time to raise and to care for. And all of a sudden things are maybe different than what people thought a marriage might be like at the beginning. And they wonder if something's wrong and they begin to look elsewhere. And if you are not guarding your heart, you can be very vulnerable at that point. And finally, some people just underestimate the sinfulness of our own heart. In Jeremiah 17.9, the Scripture says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And we will rationalize our sin. 
And we'll excuse our sin. That's part of the deceitfulness of the heart. That's why people come and say, but, you know, we don't love each other anymore in this marriage relationship. And so it feels right over here in this relationship. Or that, well, this behavior is not really hurting anybody. It's just, it's just a private thing. And we rationalize our sin. And we don't see what it's doing to us and to our relationship with God. It's why we, living in a world such as this, need to have a strategy to fight sin. And that strategy to fight sin includes uh, many of these things, like it's just simply, sometimes it means turning off the TV, or maybe it means canceling the cable. It may mean putting a filter on your computer. And there are services like Covenant Eyes, which is a program that will track where you go on the computer and it will send that to an accountability partner, somebody who cares about you and that can help you. And you guys have set up an accountability relationship where you are keeping an eye on one another so that your thought life is pure or so that you can overcome an addiction if it's become that in your life. Sometimes it's throwing away the books or the magazines or canceling the subscription. I think about, you know, a young men again, uh, teenagers growing up, young men in our world. And I think again of how often it is bombarded. I remember as a young guy, you know, I love Sports Illustrated because I enjoyed reading about sports as a young man. But there's that one issue that comes out every year, the swimsuit issue. And it is graphic. And I think of how many young men have been affected and influenced by that when it comes out. I don't get it. I haven't gotten Sports Illustrated for a long time because of that. I don't see how that is connected to sports. You know, sometimes we need to find an accountability partner who can talk with us, who can pray with us, who can encourage us in this area so that we can break free of some of those things that enslave people. On the positive side, if you are married, you need to invest in your marriage and make it the best that it can be. You need to keep your walk with God strong because that's where the passion and the fire comes from. And then we need to realize that we need to guard our heart by simply not putting ourselves in a place of temptation. The Father will say that to the Son in verses 7 and 8 here when He says, Now then, my sons, listen to Me and do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Don't put yourself in a place where you are going to be exposed to this, but instead keep yourself far from her as a part of your strategy to fight sin. Well, secondly, we need to think about the consequences of sexual immorality and adultery. And he lays that out here in verses 7 to 14. When we fall in this area, or when we step over the line, we put at risk everything that we have worked for in our life. I'll mention some of these, and then I want to go to the text and show you how they are right there. When we uh, fall in the area of sexual immorality or infidelity, we put at risk our wealth and our possessions. We put at risk our honor and our reputation. We can put at risk our health. We can put at risk our marriage and children. We can put at risk our job and our income. Look at what he says. 
in verses 9 and following. He says, don't do this lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. It may be that all that you have worked for in those best years of your life and built up and accrued now is gone or is going to be taken away by someone else. Strangers may feast on your wealth and your toil may enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent and you will say how I hated discipline and how my heart spurned correction as I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. What he may have thought was a private thing has now become public. And there is this sense of public humiliation in front of the whole assembly who know. You know, when I look at that list, if we commit adultery or even sexual immorality if you're not married yet and you engage in that beforehand and things become known, there is great loss in each of these areas. There will be at the end of your life that sense of remorse and regret and public humiliation that will come. Last Sunday, there was an interview on 60 Minutes with Michael Vick. Did any of you see that? just kind of curious how many maybe saw that interview with Michael Vick. Uh, Jim Brown did the interview. Michael Vick was a former star quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. And he uh, was arrested and sentenced to 23 months in prison for his involvement in an illegal dogfighting ring. It wasn't sexual immorality that got him in trouble here. This was this dogfighting and the cruel way in which they engaged these dogs in this illegal activity and how they killed them and it was barbaric, it was awful what was going on. But as I listened to Michael Vick share what had gone on in his life and the consequences of it, I thought, it's just right down the line on this chapter in Proverbs. In fact, would you put that slide back up, uh, the previous one, you know, where you could put at risk all of these things. Michael Vick was once the highest paid athlete in the NFL, quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons with a contract worth $135 million. As a result of what happened in his life and being caught and then sentenced to prison, he lost that contract. He lost $135 million. But not only that, he lost his honor and reputation. There were those who really did question his uh, training, his work ethic, and all of those things even before this happened. I mean, uh, Jim Brown was pretty direct on saying that, that he had a reputation for being lazy, and Michael Vick admitted that. He was the last one to show up at practice. He was the first one to leave practice. He just tried to get by in his God-given talent. And he had a lot of talent. But he abused it and misused it. And he lost his reputation. He lost everything that he had worked for. And he talked about how he hung out with friends and instead of saying no to them and being a leader, he just kind of went with the crowd. And everywhere he went, strangers would feast on his wealth. He had sort of this entourage of friends from Virginia that were not good friends, but friends who led him farther and farther into this illegal behavior. Loss of respect, 
loss of health, the anxiety, the stress in his life, loss of job and income, loss of reputation and public humiliation. He experienced all of those things and he's a pretty uh, broken guy by the experience of what's gone on in his life. As I listened to the interview, they also shared how Tony Dungy, a Christian and who's been a coach in the NFL and a player, has met with him some. He shared Christ with him. He's talked about faith and forgiveness and turning his life around. And I think we need to pray for Michael Vick. I hope that he takes that to heart. I hope that the change that he expressed is genuine. There's a lot of skepticism there because of what he was doing. And it's going to take time for that to show. But he is an example of folly. When you talk about wisdom and folly in the book of Proverbs, it applies to every area of life. And here's a guy who made choices that were absolute folly. And he experienced the consequences of it. And whether it's in illegal activities like dogfighting, or use of drugs, or alcohol, or sexual immorality, people get taken out of the game left and right. Bruce Waltke wrote about this passage. He said that sexual immorality may not lead to slavery today, but it does lead to alimony and child support and broken homes and hurt and jealousy and lonely people and venereal disease. If you talk about why should we take God's Word seriously and why should we do that, just think about that list of things. I mean, if everybody would listen and take to heart and follow what God has said in His Word. We wouldn't have the problems of venereal disease that we do in our world today. We wouldn't have the broken homes and the effect that there is upon children. We wouldn't have the deep hurts that there are in people's lives in the same way. Now I want to say at this point, and I think it's important for each of us to think about our own relationships And what would happen if you sinned? What would happen if I sinned in this area and fell? How many people would be affected? Do you ever think about that? I mean, sin is not a private matter. It doesn't matter whether you are a leader in the church or a pastor or a person who's just here on a Sunday. You have relationships. You have friendships. You have people that look up to you. You have people that know you. And if you sinned in this area, the circle of damage would be great. Sin is not a private matter. But I also want to say at this point that we also need to hear in God's Word both the message of grace and truth. I'm focusing on the truth side here because if we don't say this in the church, who will? But I also want to say that there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is hope and there is change that can come when we bring these things out into the light with Jesus Christ. You know, thirdly, what we need more than anything else is we need to reclaim a biblical view of sexuality. And we see that in verses 15 to 20. We need to reclaim this biblical view of sexuality. Now, there is a great temptation for me this morning. I know that many of you are probably following what's happened at the ELCA convention this week. (laughs) And it would be easy for me to go into that and kind of want to speak to the whole issue at length. But 
I don't have time to do that this morning, but I am going to touch on it. It was an example of a conference this week among the Lutheran Church, the largest Lutheran denomination here, that was voting on the whole issue of same-sex relationships. And that in their vote, as they were wrestling this, they came to the conclusion that same-sex relationships in a committed relationship with one another are okay, that they're biblical. And not only that, but that they moved then to also allow same-sex clergy who are in that kind of committed partnership to be called as pastors in a local church. The fallout from that, I mean, we'll just see what's going to happen in that denomination as people have wrestled and are divided on that. That's going to be very hard, I think, to overcome. But what concerns me most of all is this move away from what I believe the Scripture teaches in that area about marriage and about relationships. When we go to the Scripture, you know, for example, Genesis 2, Genesis 1 and 2, I should say, we see that God has created us in His image, male and female. God created us. And the sexual desire that He gave to man is God-given and it is good. That's what He tells us. It's part of the way that He has made us. But the way that God intends to meet those desires is within the bonds of marriage. One man and one woman. And that is the biblical standard. That is the definition of marriage. It is one man and one woman coming together in this committed relationship to one another that is a covenant between God, a man, and a woman who take their vows in the presence of friends and who vow to be faithful to one another. And today what we're seeing in our culture is this push to kind of expand that definition and to move beyond what the Scripture says in this area. And if we don't hold to the Scriptures and take a stand on it, then everything is up for grabs. I mean, if the, if the standard has changed now to, well... Loving relationships between consenting adults are okay. It doesn't matter whether it's same sex or not. Then what's going to happen in terms of other areas of marriage? Then living together before marriage is going to be acceptable. What about polygamy? As long as they are consenting adults, how can we say that it's wrong for one man and two women to be together or two men and one woman to live together? If the standard is not what God has said in His Word and we open that door, where does it stop? That's why I think we need to reclaim a biblical view of sexuality in this area. And when I look at what God says here concerning marriage and His plan for it, I mean, there's a lot here that we could talk about that I think is very important to hear. He says in verses 15 and following that we should drink water from our own cistern, running water from our own well. And he uses the word water there for this sexual desire, and he's saying that the way that you satisfy that desire is within the bonds of your own marriage relationship. Should your springs overflow in the streets? No. Should your streams of water in the public squares? No. This is a private, this is an intimate relationship. And it is to be exclusive, committed to one another. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. And may your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you find your delight and your pleasure there in that intimate relationship. 
He describes her with metaphors again as a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always and may you be ever captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? He's saying you can either be captivated by your wife or you can be captivated by an adulteress. Which one is better? Which one does God approve of? It's pretty clear. And when I look at this text, you know, I see how these things are laid out and it is, I think, so important for us to say that this is God's plan for us. That Hollywood didn't think up the idea of sex or sexual relationships. God did. God made us that way. And sex is not only intended for the birth of children, it is an expression of intimacy and love. It is intended for pleasure, even as it is portrayed here in Proverbs 5. And within that intimate relationship, there is freedom and there is joy and there is delight. And you hardly see it portrayed that way anymore in terms of television or movies or those kind of things that are in media. You know, always it seems to be portrayed as kind of outside, or it's the chase, or it's the intrigue, or it's the, you know, attraction of that first kind of getting together. Rarely do they show healthy married relationships in which there is this kind of joy and beauty and intimacy. But it also needs to be said that marriage is more than sex. Marriage is love and commitment and companionship and sacrifice and kindness and encouragement and honor and respect. There is much more to marriage than just this area. And marriage is so holy to God that God uses marriage even as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And He calls us as men to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And He calls women who are married to love and respect their husbands even as the church is to respect and honor Christ. And the way of wisdom in the book of Proverbs then, it is to follow these things. The way of wisdom is to love your, love your wife. It's to love God and it's to listen to what He has said. And the way of folly is instead to listen to the adulteress, to despise God and to ignore what He has said. And then the writer of Scripture here grounds all of this in a biblical theology when he says in verse 21 that a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all his paths. God is all-knowing, all-seeing and he is also the judge who holds us accountable for the things that we do or don't do. He goes on to say that the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast, and he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. The consequences of sin are serious, and sin will bring that kind of devastation to a person's life when we persist in it. So what does a message like this say to the person who is single? It calls us to trust God. It calls us to commit ourselves to moral purity. It calls us to wait upon God for His time and His provision in terms of marriage and the right person in our life. And if God calls us to lifelong singleness, He will give us the grace to live that way. And He will meet our needs in other ways in our life. 
And what does this say to those who are married? It says, love your wife or love your husband. Be faithful to your spouse. Invest in your marriage. Read a good book on marriage and all of these areas. There are some great resources out there. Study the Scriptures and pray together or attend a marriage conference or a marriage class. And if you're struggling with issues or have questions, seek godly counsel. I just feel like there's a whole lot more that I could have said today, but I hope you catch my heart. I want to speak with grace and truth in this area because that's what God has called us to. And I want us to speak that way to one another as well, whether we are single and dealing with issues that are unique to our life right now or whether we are married and going through some difficulties or whether we are married with a great relationship. We need to encourage one another and help each other in this area of our life. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Your Word, I pray that that would be our first commitment, to hear You and to honor what You have said in Your Word, and to live that out in our life each and every day. I know that I've raised probably a lot of questions, or there are things that people are thinking about today, and You know each one. And Father, I pray that as we um, think about these things during the week and go from this way place and think about our marriage relationships or if we're single and things going on in our life, Lord, give us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to live in a way that honors you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.